Hello guys, we are back today in another episode of Into Miyazaki's World And in our team today we have, um, this is Betty And Avery Yes, yeah, so before officially getting started on the movie today We want to do briefly jump back on the ending of the previous episode We're talking about The Wind Rises And <laughs> my apologies for ending it so oddly But uh, do you guys remember where we discussed at the end or maybe having any final t- thoughts about that yeah so miss betty had to go to work she had to put those <laughs> hours in so we did not get to give our final ratings and opinions of the film um so returning back to my notes um i had a pretty positive opinion of this film i really enjoyed it i might give it a 4.5 out of 5 Um, Because I do think that there was elements that were done in other Ghibli movies better, but I really, really enjoyed this film. So that's my rating. What about you, Betty? I rate it 5 over 5 because I love it so much, except for the music. It's kind of awesome part, but overall it's very good. And I think there's some kind of feeling that rousing while I was watching this movie. So Mm. I I love it so much. I'm more about the emotional I experience for the movie. Absolutely. Yeah. And I feel like I dream a lot. And there's some part that I was so scared of the fast change of time because for my major media, it's changed so quickly. And sometimes I'm, I got scared of that, but I'm still passionate about that. So I feel connected with Jiro. And maybe that's why I, I love this movie so much. That's so cute. Yeah. I, I think <laughs> I, I liked it uh, for reasons more along just... We live in a society Um, (laughs) because I feel like this movie really just captures that Jiro at the end of the day, he can make his own decisions, but he really is just this one moving part of a much larger picture. And it's kind of scary to imagine like that you're just this little piece in this bigger, much bigger machine or picture. But yeah. um, And before we get on to Nausicaa, we actually have Sarah here to drop by to give her rating. She was a part of our Wind Rises discussion. So I'm going to invite her over. Okay. Here's the no. microphone. <laughs> <laughs> closer, Miss Girl. Okay. Hi, y'all. Um, so <laughs> interesting format. Sorry. Yes, I'm here. Um, I didn't watch this movie, so I will not be talking about it. But for The Wind Rises, I'd say initially I would have given it a lower rating because I found the romance to be like a little bit rushed and not as believable. But after we kind of like analyzed it more and got into it and I realized like actually I, I kind of loved it. Like now that I like talked about it more, um, I'd say I give it like like a four or five out of five. Like it was it was really good. It was it was one of the better Gilly movies that I've watched. So what a 180. Oh my god, yeah. Thank you so much, <laughs> Sarah. Of course. Yes. We love Sarah. We might see her next week or in yeah. the future. So if you want more Sarah content, don't worry. <laughs> Okay, um, awesome thoughts, guys. <laughs> so I really appreciate it. And um, so let's just be gone with the win. And we'll go back to another movie. Also talking about the win. It's not intentional, but I just felt it is very interesting to connect it <laughs> somehow. But yeah, so from this moment, we're going to discuss Nausicaa's of the Valley of the Wind. And um, this movie is very interesting because it can be unofficially called Ghibli movie because it's, it's written and um, like not produced, but written by Miyazaki and produced by the co-founder of Studio Ghibli, Isao Takahata. And um, just after one year of the movies out, 
Studio Ghibli was found. So I think it's very interesting. And yeah, so um, before getting started and give a spotlight back to Avery for her summary, here's a little disclaimer for spoiler. So we're going to discuss many details from the movie. So if you plan to watch the movie fully, we recommend you to save our episode now and get back to us later. But if you really don't mind, I'm just passing to Avery now. Yeah, so absolutely. This is our first uh, Miyazaki non-Ghibli work. But like she said, a lot of people associated with Ghibli. Uh, the movie came out in 1985, which is a year before um, our Ghibli debut film, uh, Castle in the Sky. And also, I believe, Grave of the Fireflies, which we haven't talking about that one. Spoken? Talking? Whatever. Spoken about that one yet. But yeah, so this came out in 1986. But we're going to go back a year before the founding of Ghibli and talk about this wonderful piece. So... Nausicaa of the Wind and Valley, it's this fantasy sci-fi dystopian film. It's set 1,000 years into the future after an environmental disaster, um, which kills off most of the human population on Earth. And so the story follows Princess Nausicaa and her attempt to save her community from the toxic jungle and also the threat of the warring civilizations that humanity has kind of just really declined and fallen into just war famine and then the environmental degradation is of course a big issue um yeah so (laughs) that's my little synopsis um yeah so um just follow out a traditional i think we might start with the word building if you would like to talk about that because i think this movie is honestly very different from other ghibli movie we're talking about and for me i really impressed about the very first opening of the movie because I noted it's nearly two minutes at the beginning of the movie doesn't have music, which they usually have something, but it's just like the sound of the wind. And yeah. I think it's very interesting. Yeah, no, it, it for sure. This is a different introduction than we usually see. I would say a typical Miyazaki Ghibli film, we have this kind of gradual overview of the world that we're in. We kind of get to know it up close and far away. And then we almost always are accompanied by some lovely music, often by Joe Iyashi, or I probably just butchered his last name. But <laughs> yeah, um, we love Joe here. <laughs> so yeah, this one was very different. Um, there could be multiple reasons for that. Another thing to know is that this film is based off of a manga. So uh, Nausicaa was also, the name itself was inspired by um, apparently a Phoenician princess in the Odyssey by Homer. So I thought that was just kind of some interesting research I saw. But yeah, so this opening scene, we do get to see a lot of the world, which is typically like Miyazaki's tradition, but it's definitely not the same. Um, The setting, and I, I would just say maybe even like the art style is a lot more, it kind of falls a little flat, I would say, compared to like other Ghibli films. I really enjoyed watching this one because it's a, it's amazing film on its own, but also you just get to see how much Miyazaki has grown because like the depths of the colors in this film compared to something like Howl's Moving Castle or The Wind Rises, like the richness in color like has just completely changed. Um, but yeah, we're kind of introduced to this society. Um, it Kind of had a... Have you seen The Mandalorian, Betty? I have not. Do you know what it is, though? The Mandalorian? No. (gasps) Star Wars? Yes. Okay. Uh, To me, it kind of felt a little Star Wars-ish, but there's no aliens, actually. Mm -hmm. I I think it's just because it's so far in the future that... um, (laughs) And also, we have this toxic jungle, so the insects kind of look alien-like. 
So I was getting like this alien fantasy dystopian vibe. Um, but yeah, it's like this idea that the earth is being consumed by this toxic jungle. And then some context, it's a thousand years has passed since the fall of industrial society. And so the earth has been taken over by this jungle and it's just this big ecological disaster. Um, but yeah, what, what were some of your thoughts? Yeah, I touch on some what you're saying. I, th I feel the same. It's like very different setting that Ghibli just brought up compared to other later movie that Miyazaki made. Yeah, it's not like post-war words. It's not during the time of the world. It's not like during peacetime either. It's just like very far and dark future of human beings. And like you just say, it's give the vibe of like sci-fi movies, like in Star Wars. And um, I think it's, I think the thing that makes this movie outstanding is maybe because it's not like dealing with uh, aliens, even though it's kind of similar like what you just said, but it's focused more on like how people, how like environmental pollution like destroy everything. Yeah. It just like affect seriously the world. I don't know if it's yeah but it's just like yeah yeah no I agree and to me I think that's what I like so much about this film because I'm such a sucker for any environmental theme which is probably why my favorite Ghibli film so far has been Princess Mononoke which this one strikes a lot of parallels to Princess Mononoke which we'll talk more about but yeah I really enjoy this environmental theme even though it is it's depressing in the aspect of this is a dystopian society. This is not a future that we want, but we're very much going towards with our behavior um, at, on this planet and the way we treat it. Um, but yeah, we'll get more into the environmental theme later. Um, another thing to note on is the score. So like we said, Joe, you know, he he got out, he, he really produced something really interesting and beautiful with this soundtrack. Uh, the music is just so funky and it's just older. It's like very 80s, which this film did come out in the 80s. Uh, but it was so fun. It was so different than the typical like orchestra pieces we get in the other Ghibli films. Um, so yeah, what did you think about the music? Mm -hmm. I love it so much. Is this the very first um, Ghibli soundtrack that I used the most for my studying and I know it's where it's come from but I have not like, watched the movie until now and for me I love all the soundtrack that give me strong feelings so this one also similar to House Moving Castle and Labuta uh, Castle in the Sky they always give me like some strong feelings like it's very um, tense at the very beginning and then just soften and then it's just raised up again so I think it's very interesting and um yeah and I noticed that some parts of the movie especially when Nausicaa is just fighting or flying away the soundtrack just give me a vibe like I am playing a video games oh, yeah I could see that I love that I love that part so much yeah I, don't know. I think it's the I think it's honestly like the 80s feel to the soundtrack it's yeah. kind of like he-man almost um but yeah uh, also i would say that um the music really changes depending on what's going on in the scene so we kind of have like more of that like 80s like retro sound but then we also have um, more whimsical pieces depending on the context and then we have this kind of continued theme of like this little girl singing so and we'll talk about it later but we're pretty sure it's not as a child um <laughs> But yeah, I mean, also talking about sound in general, so not specifically music, uh, the sounds they make for the advanced technology they have, I just thought was really interesting. Like, I don't know. Do you know what the thing she flies on is called? 
her flyer. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what it's called. I would just call it, it a flyer. It, it looks like yeah. a plan, but it's not <laughs> a plan. I, I mean, if we could talk a bit about the design of that, because I feel like that could go with world building. It's like their technology, because, mm-hmm. you know, this is a very... Um, technologically advanced society technically because you know it exists a thousand years in the future so they have technology that we haven't developed yet however because of the ecological disaster they don't live like a technologically advanced society or what you'd imagine at least um so it's just kind of interesting to see that you know people are starving and people are dying but they have like these really like high tech um like vehicles to fly um and it's really cool because you quite literally like look like a bird when you're flying on it because like her feet go up but yeah I thought like the imagery and the design of that was so creative on Miyazaki's part like I just thought that was I don't know yeah no I love that part too and I think it's tied really well with the idea of how people trying to use technology that really fit in to uh, protect the environment as well because the like the design of the flyer like what we just call the the flyers just remind me of like the kai in the way they like anchor yeah. the flyers also like how you fly a kai interesting yeah no i 100 see that too very creative um designs on their part i liked it a lot mm-hmm. um because we see like the typical airships but we've seen that before we've seen that in castle in the sky we've seen that in the wind rises so i think nausicaa's personal like flying device is just a lot more fun because it kind of also reminds me of a paper airplane um that they've made out of metal or whatever technology um but yeah, do you have any more comments on world building? And then I had a few about like the medieval aspects. You can move to the medieval, medieval aspect. <laughs> yeah, I can. So, uh, <laughs> what I mean by medieval aspects? Okay, me personally, I thought I was picking up on some medieval references because it's interesting because we're in this um, science fiction setting. This is in the future apocalyptic yet I feel like there's a lot of imagery and details that are just so like middle ages um Europe specifically so from the garments like their actual clothing and a lot of the times men or women kind of had like those head coverings in the film that to me was pretty strong like a strong medieval reference it was more of like a futuristic version like it's not in a direct imitation it just seems inspired by it in my opinion like feudal society um and then also this idea that we have like all these scattered societies that are really kingdoms like they're called kingdoms and you have a princess you have a king you have a lord so kind of like typical feudal society titles so i thought that was interesting um And then also uh, there's an emphasis on ideas of fate and destiny. So we have this character, Obaba, who sounds suspiciously a lot like you, Baba, from Spirited Away. So I don't know if that's connected. But anyways, um, you know, so she's kind of like this, I don't know, she kind of is giving like just like wise old woman. Maybe she like has a second sight because she seems to be super interested in like destiny and prophecy. But anyways, they have like this tapestry um, to predicting like that this savior will come and save the valley and, you know, stop the toxic jungle. Um, and I just thought that that to me was also a very like fantastical, like medieval element. Um And then later when we have Kushana show up and try to conquer them, uh, she uses the I I put in quotation natives as in just like the people that were living there, which is the valley 
the valley people, I'll call them the valley people, uh, she uses them for essentially slave labor to exploit the resources, which this could also be a comment on colonialism or imperialism, I'm not sure, but it could also just be more of like a feudal reference to how kingdoms, more powerful, bigger kingdoms would show up and like just conquer, take over, ex you know, pillage all the resources and then enslave the people that were living there. Um, and then also this one was pretty big for me when Kushana takes hostage, hostages and hostages is a, a reoccurring thing in this film. Um, so we have Lestelle, who is our first example of a hostage. And then later Nausicaa herself is a hostage. That is such a medieval practice. I'm not saying like other cultures or societies didn't have that, but 100% did exist in the middle ages. Um, so yeah, I noticed that too. And then this last one, which is might be a little bit of stretch. This is just my interpretation is that Nausicaa's room, so she has like those secret passageways, right? That lead down to like the catacombs, like where her laboratory is. To me, that reminded me so much of, do you know who Queen Antoinette is? I heard yeah, the yeah. French, yes. the French queen who was like, let's eat cake, which I, I think it's historically inaccurate. I don't think she ever said that. But um, <laughs> anyways, yeah. So there was this protest where um, French Parisian, I believe they're Parisian, uh, women were protesting like right outside of the palace for bread because everyone was starving. And so they actually like broke in and like started up a revolt and were trying to, you know, probably kill her or ransom her or something. Um, and she escaped through like some like passageways or something. So I don't know, it just kind of reminded me of that because we do know that like in a lot of these medieval like castle designs that there were like hidden passageways for members of the royal family to escape if the castle was ever sieged. So I don't know, those are the references I picked up on. I just thought it was interesting. No, I think it's very interesting because you focus more on how the world building give you the vibe of like um, the older society compared to what we're living at right now and compared to what the film is trying to show to the audience of like the reality of the future. This kind of like jump a little bit backward too. Yeah, it's yeah. such a crazy like tribrid blend of just like different <laughs> cultural and time period elements. And I think that's what makes the film so visually cool to watch is that there's just so much going on and there's so much details. But in some areas, I think Betty would agree too much detail um yeah i mean yeah <laughs> do you want to explain that <laughs> yeah i i don't know but um i do enjoy the movie a lot but there's some part because of my phobia so i'm afraid of like some holes yeah so um there's uh basically there's a part i i remember like as aspel Aspel. Yeah, yeah, Aspel and Nausicaa <laughs> just fell from um, their plans to the like the underground part. And when oh, they yeah. looked up for looking for those space to escape, I mean, I know that I have to go through those holes to get out of there. But the way they always look up and <laughs> look at those things, it just give me some goosebumps because I'm afraid of like looking at a lot of holes and yeah. yeah I will say like the setting in general because you know there's this toxic component there's this toxic jungle uh there's just some very like abstract and just like disturbing looking patterns in the film yeah um like in the plants and just in the actual background there's just some like sensory like visual sensory like moments that are just like <laughs> yeah so I think it's supposed to make you uncomfortable because I think that's kind of the point is that 
um, in this society, humanity has destroyed the earth so much. It's beyond recognition. And we took advantage of the earth because, you know, right now it's a beautiful day in Tulsa. There's flowers, you know, really enjoying that. And kind of to see how this um, society that they're living in, like all of that is gone. And it's just kind of replaced with this wasteland almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Badger and Jordan me agree, though. <laughs> Even though it's just <laughs> give me some scary feeling, but yeah. Okay, so we touch on the main theme of the movie, maybe. So how about talking about the environment and some natural resources, like what I just titled my section. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So um, like we all, I think we both agree that this movie is focused a lot on like how the environment change and affect like human being back and forth. So um yeah, I do notice like we have an extreme air pollution for you where people have to wear not normal masks but gas mask. And it's also remind me of the current pandemic we suffer, COVID nineteen or SARS. But people also have to wear a lot of masks to avoid spreading the disease. But in this case of the movie, everything just be more serious because the air is the the thing that is polluted. And all the pollution also happened at the same time in the movie where um, the water is also poisoned when Nausicaa's um, trying to stop the baby alm, the baby insect, uh, to not like go into the water. It just like pushed Nausicaa and her food um, somehow touched the water and it's burned. So uh, it just showed uh, how like the air is polluted, but other natural resources like water and the wind also is also somehow spread the polluted as well. And it's also recall a lot of life fighting and severe scenes from Princess Mononoke, but I don't have a lot of reference, but I'm sure Avery have a lot connects to Princess Mononoke. So, yeah, yeah I would say so I did see a lot of parallels. Uh, I, I guess a big difference, though, that we should state is that in this society, this is kind of like, I don't want to say the revenge of nature, because I don't think that nature is intrinsically ever going to try to be evil towards humanity. Mm-hmm. I just think it's more like in this case, humanity has entirely pushed nature to the point where it had to evolve in the only way it could in order to survive. And that way manifested in some way that is toxic for people. And so, uh, you know, we have like these mushroom spores that release these toxic particles and all of that. And so to me, that's just such a big contrast between this film and Princess Mononoke, where in Princess Mononoke, for the most part, that forest is actually very healthy and very much like in tune with, um, you know, equilibrium and everything. And so that's why we have the little Kodokama uh, forest spirits, because they're there to indicate that the forest is healthy. And so Princess Mononoke, is you know more about like before we even get to this stage in Nausicaa of the Wind and Valley it's as if Lady Aboshi was never defeated or never changed her mind if she had kept going on that path this is the society you end up with so that's kind of how I view the two um but then another comparison is that I found that um uh the prince Ashitaka I believe is his name. Yeah. Uh, it's been a while. <laughs> he like reminds me so much of Nausicaa. Like they have similar characteristics and drives. They just, they both really want to be at peace with nature and they work really hard to like maintain such a like respectful understanding of nature. Uh, like the way Nausicaa interacts with the ohms, I think is so beautiful. And uh, it calls me back to the scene um, where 
Nausicaa's uh, Lord Yupo. Yupa. <laughs> yeah, Lord Yupa is in trouble with the Ohm, and the Ohm is coming to essentially kill him. Um, and Nausicaa, instead of just, you know, coming in to save Yupa and kill the beast, no, like, she tries to she tries to communicate with it and get it to turn back around. She's just kind of like her um, insect, um, I don't know what they called it charm thing that kind of like it's like hypnosis i guess uh but yeah she she's just like what an amazing ohm and then she tells it uh go back to the jungle this is not your world which just shows how much compassion and dedication she has to the environment uh and so like i said it reminds me of princess mononoke it reminds me of the scene of ashitaka in the cursed bull um and i you know uh because in this instance nausicaa has the ability to calm the rage of the beast and return it to the jungle ashitaka did not have that chance because um the bull was under a curse an evil curse and i kind of think that if he had been able to break that curse on the bull i do think he would have tried to calm its rage and return it to the forest the same way nausicaa returns the ohm to the jungle um so i just see so many like similarities between their characters yeah I think it's very interesting when you brought up uh the board with um the ohm as well because I've I think there's a little bit different between them because the board like you just say is supplied with rage so just like trying their best to kill as m- many people as possible to protect themselves in the trap but for the ohm when uh at the very ending of the movie when Nausicaa just like sacrifice herself to stop like the range i feel like the alms just like understand the situation so that's why they stop everything after like they hit um nausicaa just like up to the air and then fall off and yeah temporary absolutely yeah i think also that um in nausicaa's world uh the the earth being polluted and the curse it has plagued onto uh not just humanity but also like nature itself um i think it manifests in a way to where these creatures don't become blind with rage for no reason and they're able to like uh become reasoned out of it because they do have emotion and they do have compassion whereas in princess mononoke uh pollution was depicted as more of like just like this curse that could not be broken um so i mean we kind of get that different uh, just interpretation or like depiction of pollution. Is it a curse or is it just something that manifests as poison? Because in this case, it's not really a curse. It's just literal poison, radioact- radioactivity, uh, toxins, all of that. Uh, we see that Nausicaa's father early in the film is actually dying because he's been poisoned just over time, like in the atmosphere. Uh, and it kind of made me wonder, like, is this the fate of all people that live in the valley? to die from you know the toxins that are exposed to them in the air uh but they do feel more safe living in the valley uh because they have this belief that i'm trying to find it they have this belief that like the the wind coming off from the ocean breeze like protects them from the poison to a certain extent like it kind of washes it away maybe yeah i think obaba mentioned about that when she brought up like the overseas wind that protect this land to yeah, from yeah. the disease. Maybe so, yeah. we can talk a bit about just their civilization in general because Nausicaa's, um, I don't know if we want to call it a village, a valley, a community, a kingdom, whatever. Um, but, you know, where Nausicaa is from, uh, this society is probably um, one of the best examples, I think, in the Ghibli film of a community that is actually trying to like live in harmony with nature and is doing it 
pretty well. Um, you know, they, uh, they're very, um, we get the sense that they're spiritual people to a certain extent. Uh, we know that Obaba believes in fate and destiny, you know, along with the whole tapestry prophecy of a savior coming. Um, and we know that they really, um, they really encourage and, um, I don't know, uh, appreciate Nausicaa's ability to like communicate with nature. Uh, and multiple times they make references to this, uh, such as when Lord Yuba is first saved by her, she says, what a mysterious power she has because she's able to tame the fox squirrel, Tato? Yeah, Tato. Yeah, <laughs> she's able to tame him pretty quickly, which he reminded me of my dog. I think anything that's tiny and cute just reminds me of my dog. <laughs> it's Bo. <laughs> yeah, no, I love the idea you brought up. And yeah, I feel this movie's just brought up so many interesting thi- interesting things about like environment that I do really enjoy. So, yeah, so um I had another good quote real quick yeah, sure. about the environment. So, uh Lord Yupa again says about Nausicaa, she certainly knows how to read the wind. I just wanted to throw that one out there cuz this will probably be more relevant later. We'll talk a little bit about the wind and its relationship with Nausicaa. Um and then also the this idea that I mentioned of the savior who's going to return and guide uh return and then guide the people to a land of purity. Um a quote I have is that the savior will restore mankind's connection with the earth that was destroyed, which very much reminds me of what the old man in uh, Castle of the Sky, the one that lives like underground, Uncle something. Yeah, Uncle Bomb. Yeah, yeah, Uncle Palm. He says something very similar, I think. But yeah, no, I just think it's amazing that Nausicaa is able to be such a liaison with nature. She really knows the jungle and she will point this out numerous times later, such as when the queen or she's not a queen. She's a princess, I guess. Um, What's her name? Uh, Kushana. Kushana? Kushana, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Kushana, yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of names in this one. Uh, Kushana, you know, she has her gun, and Nasuka's like, yeah, you know, I wouldn't shoot that if I were you. You don't know the jungle like I do. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, and she also have a very optimistic uh, point of view toward the sea of the decade, decade or decade, decade, decade. Yeah, decade. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, she has a quote that I uh, wrote down here. It, she's just say like, the trees of the sea of the decade crew to cleanse the world polluted by the humans so yeah i feel like she has a very optimistic and uh, very general view of what actually happening it's just like she's not trying to claim to any size she like uh, ashitaka she in a very neutral place to try to balance between the two. So. Absolutely. And she's so compassionate, which is something that I just admire so much about her character. Uh, is her ability again and again to sacrifice herself and her um, potential to be harmed because she wants to protect nature and protect people, just protect life in general. Um, it's very beautiful. And the quote you mentioned, uh, I just find it so fascinating the way the ecosystem works. Because uh, essentially, uh, the little area that Nausicaa and Asbel, oh my gosh, these names, guys, I think it's because they're supposed to be futuristic, I guess. Um, Nausicaa and Asbel, uh, when they find like the, they fall through the sand and they find that underground cavern, like we realize that, you know, you can't burn down the jungle. All, all these other kingdoms, they think, oh, the jungle is the problem. We just need to burn it down. They want to 
fight with fire. Um, but Nausicaa and Asbel realize, no, like we cannot burn down the jungle because even though parts of it are toxic, uh, the way the ecosystem is all connected, it's also working to filter the toxins out. So the jungle may be toxic right now, but it seems that the trees and the roots are actually filtering those toxins out. And so it seems if they wait long enough, the jungle will just detoxify itself because of the way the ecosystem works. So, yeah. yeah. It's very interesting. We're not patient, I guess, humans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I love the way uh, they brought up the differences between human-made resources and natural resources. So I don't know if I quote it right, but I just want to uh, point out the difference between the fire and the water and the wind itself. Because mm-hmm. fire is just like an event that caused by um, the process of com question mm-hmm. if i'm if i'm right yeah yeah so it just like occur when um the oxygen in the air in some other some sort of fuel that make the fire but mostly created by humans being uh, activities and um yeah throughout the movie we see a lot of fire which is uh from the fire gun or the bomb and i feel like the movie suggested uh, the possibilities that can happen to the world like if the firestorm for example um the real event from the bombing event of hiroshima and nagasaki during the world war ii um if that event just prolonged for like up to seven days like what the movie referenced the seven days of fire in the movie oh yeah so if that happened it could cause like a nuclear winter event which um is with like blocking on the sunlight and lead to a lot of like severe things to the world and i feel like the ending scenes where the giant warrior just shot like at the groups of alms and explode everything i read somewhere it also based on the real image of the nuclear bomb explosion during the world war ii so Mm. i thought it's very interesting when it show like how people use their resources to fight again what uh, the natural resources and yeah so that that um, is really interesting Uh, you know that makes so much (laughs) sense because you know this film is a japanese film miyazaki is japanese so he would have that input or influence into the film because you know it never mentions a nuclear disaster or bombing in the film it never mentions it directly but just looking at the way the setting is and the fact that you know there's all these toxic particles and the king seems to have like radiation poisoning it does seem like, you know, nuclear fallout. This is a society that is trying to rebuild after that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, no, yeah, I didn't think of that. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah. And the way I brought up um, the wind and the water, I don't think the, like, the movies directly talk about it that much. But I really love a quote from um, one of the hostage while they were caught. And um, that old man just talking about his hand. Like mm-hmm. how Nausicaa love his hand and then they switch to the topic. They just say like too much fire and nothing will grow. Fire can turn forests into ashes in a single day. Water and wind sustain the forest for a hundred years. And I kind of love this one so much because I feel like fire can make people feel like they are very like powerful. Like how the um, Tomekian people just believe that a giant warrior will help them and stop everything. But in fact, it's just like they cost more life just to fulfill the whole thing. So it's kind of recalled yeah. me of like how we 
deal with zombies. <laughs> zombies. <laughs> yeah, because um, have you watched All of Us? All of Us Are Dead. No. The movie. It's the K drama. So it's about uh, zombies and the government solution for that uh-huh. pandemic. It just like. Bomb the whole city oh my to God. burn everything. Like the the yeah. the city in the danger zone, they just want to burn anything so that no more disease can spread. And I it just called back to what I brought up an interpretation in Labuta. Like <laughs> I just say like cut up the bad roots for brighter future. And I feel that uh, it was the right thing in that movie, but for now applying that into yeah. this case, I feel like it's very inhuman act if you just sacrifice more life just to save the rest. Yeah, it, it really I'm, depends. Like yeah. I agree because in that context, yeah, no, um, kind of same idea with when the valley is in danger. Uh, the Pe- the Peji lights. I don't know what they go by. The Peji people. I'm sorry. <laughs> these futuristic names have me struggling. Um, but, you know, they're just like, oh, no, it's for the greater good. Um, mm-hmm. You know, risking the the few for the many. But, uh, yeah, no, that doesn't always work out. Um, but we do see a few examples where it does make sense. Uh, for example, they want to stop the uh, infection from spreading on the trees. So they'll like burn down just parts of the trees, but then they go a little crazy and they start burning down the whole forest. So yeah, it's like moderation is key and also having that early intervention before it spirals into something that's out of control. Yeah. Uh, and then that's when you have to make those very difficult ethical decisions of how you're going to handle it. Uh, I also like that you brought up, uh, don't know his ma- name, but the hostage guy um, as well <laughs> that says we prefer the ways of the water and the wind. Because in that instance, um, He's just kind of, it kind of reminded me of from, what is it called? Uh, <laughs> the Wind Rises, you know, when they're like, oh, we don't need to be like Italy and we don't need to be like Germany. Like we can go our own way. That's kind of what that reminded me of. Uh, and it reminds me of an- another similar scene in which, uh, what's her name? Kushana. <laughs> yeah. Kushana um, is with them when she was the hostage. It's hard to be the hostage. Um and, uh, you know, she's like, well, if I were you guys, I would just, you know, take over and use use the uh, the big weapon, the underground warrior thing. I would use it to your advantage. And, you know, she's like, you know, take it for yourself. You know, the insects must be stopped either way. Um, and they're like, yeah, listen, lady, we're not going to take advice from you, first of all. <laughs> and they kind of just say something like, no, we will keep the warrior dormant as it was always intended to be. So to me, they have a lot of like of these little wind rises moments where they're where they're being pressured to do something that everyone else in society is presenting as a logical solution. But they're like, no, because this goes against our cultural and our moral beliefs. And we're going to go about it our own way. And yeah. I really like that. They stick to their they stick to their ideology. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very interesting because like, who know how people will act if they in that situation. And I really like the comparison that Nausicaa's um, brought up to compare What's her name again? Kushana. Kushana, yeah. <laughs> Kushana and uh, the little um, pet that she has, uh, Tedo. The little squirrel. So cute. Yeah, the squirrel. fox squirrel. Yeah, <laughs> she just compared uh, Kushana just to Tedo that she's it just now panic and scare. <laughs> yeah. So that's why she reacts so, um, like, oh, what's yeah. the word should I use? Um, severe or... Intense, yeah, yeah intense. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's yeah, that's just yeah. No, Kushana's character is so interesting because she's the lady of Boshi of this film. Where on that surface, she's 
pure evil because, you know, she's coming here to conquer uh, to conquer this civilization so that she can exploit its resources and raise this giant to destroy not just the jungle, but destroy like competing kingdoms. So she's very cutthroat. She'll take hostages. She'll kill like without a second thought. However, she does have a sense of morally gray to her because, you know, in the end, we kind of see like this idea that she could be redeemable because she wants to delayed to start the the final battle until Nausicaa returns and so I just kind of found that interesting so I do think she has a small change of heart but we never get to see the full like redemption cycle so we don't actually know if she's gonna fully redeem herself or if she'll just fall back into old ways uh and also I come I compared her to Lady Eboshi I would like to say I don't think she's as or I think Lady Eboshi is not as bad as Kushana I think Kushana is probably relatively worse but uh it's also different societies. Um, but it kind of reminds me of the quote um, in which one of the valley men say, it's so strange that you're a princess because you're nothing like ours. Because <laughs> I think there is kind of like this character foil aspect between Nausicaa and Kushana. They're both princesses, but they both use their leadership qualities in very different ways. So they, you know, rule very differently. They have very different ideologies. They view the environment very differently. Um, and I like that you bring up Kushana is fear because I think that is something we talked about a lot in Castle in the Sky is how mankind we it's so easy for us just to give in to our fears and be ruled by them uh and you know at the end of the day uh Nausicaa just wants to live her life just wants them to leave her in her valley in peace she's just like she says I just want you to go back to your own country (laughs) when she said that I kind of laughed a little but yeah yeah that's part funny and uh similar to some of the characters we kind of touch on i don't remember which one but um i wish we can have more background of kushana because i don't know what happened to her why did she lost like her legs and one arm what happened to her because we don't have enough context and i don't know because of that like the trauma she'd been through that make her like um harder to like lead like the way Nausicaa lead yeah and I think probably her injuries have a lot to do with her intense hatred for the jungle and just Mm -hmm. wanting to wipe it out entirely um because she probably got this injuries I would imagine uh somewhat related to the jungle or creatures insects within the jungle uh because she says at one point to uh the valley men how can you be so foolish the jungle is harming you yet you want to be in harmony with it like she just can't even like comprehend this idea that the environment is not going out of its way to harm you, that this is all just a rippling reflection of events that happened a thousand years ago. And someone needs to, you know, stand up and make a stand. Like, we cannot just keep competing against nature. We have to work with it. And so that's what makes Natsuko such a great character, is she is the person that is willing to stand up for that. Yeah, yeah I totally agree with you. So, um, do you have anything else to talk about this? Or I have one more about the wind. But we can go ahead and go into the wind. Okay, so um, so for me, similar to how the wind represents in The Wind Rises, I feel like the wind in this movie also represents both the benefits and the drawbacks that it brought to human beings. So for the benefits, it's indeed save the people in the valley of the wind. Like, people in the valley utilize the power of the wind to push away the polluted air like they build mm-hmm. up some uh, windmills and they also are able to have clean water and good soil to plant crops 
So that's why I've seen like there's a lot of like fields where people actually have uh, like lands to grow plants and crops to uh, survive. And besides of that, Nausicaa also discovered that the well water grows toxin-free plants life. So I feel like the wind also helped the people in the valley have enough sources to like maintain their normal life, but also like discover something that can give them the solution to solve everything just happened right now. But on the other hand, I feel like the wind also helped spread the disease and wars to the valley because like, what's that one called? The spore? The spore? Yeah. Yeah, the spore just like being spread from, uh, was mm-hmm. brought from, oh, oops, sorry, <laughs> was brought from uh, the ship where uh, Lasto was hostage and they just fell into the valley and the disease just started from there. Also, the the telecon what are they called the telecon yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the the Ptolemaicans Ptolemaicans yeah oh gosh guys. It, it's hard name, yeah but yeah it's brought from that and the wind just like blow it and it's just on it on the trees and more things just happen so yeah I feel like the wind is the very uh, interesting figures that I want to focus on talking about so I don't know what do you thought about like the image of the wind in this. I, you know, Maybe. I didn't interpret the wind as its own symbol, but it 100% is, and it has the capacity for that. Um, so I don't have, like, an exact, like, formal thing written down. So just thinking off the top of my head, uh, I, I, I think your interpretation is spot on, um, that we kind of see that nature, in the form of wind in this case, can both harm and benefit humanity. Just depends on how you respect it as a human and how you kind of choose to respond to it. Because, like Betty said, um, the wind... Uh, is not always beneficial because it is spreading the disease, this infe- uh, this radioactive like uh, particles and infection. But it also, uh, if you don't work against it and you work with it, like Nausicaa does, it can do wonderful things. Uh, and she's constantly compared to the wind in multiple occasions. Um, and I know at one point, uh, whenever she's kind of making this big pacifist uh, protest, so um, at the point in the movie where the telemachian men have they're in like their little it looks like a little air balloon and then they have the baby ohm underneath um you know she wants to stop them and she wants to free the baby ohm and so she kind of does this act of protest where she just stands on her flyer and just flies at them with her arms like wide open to show like you know i'm in protest i'm not gonna inflict violence on you um and i believe that they make a comment like she flies like the wind and then the younger man even thinks that she looks like lestelle and so mm. he's like, no, we can't kill her. It's Estelle. It's Estelle. So I just thought that was interesting. I, I You probably thought that because they were like, she had changed into the Pejit clothes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think it makes much more sense because I'm watching in the sop and they didn't mention like, uh, that's look like Lasto. So I was oh, like, really? oh, what happening? Why do we stop? I was like, yeah. But it's make more sense now. In the Yeah. In the dub, um, he goes, I can't. It's Lestelle. Because the other guy's like, shooter, shooter. Um, and he's like, no, I can't. It's Lestelle. Um, but yeah. And then the older guy pushes him out of the way and shoots her anyways. Uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, outside of the wind. Or did you have anything else for the wind? Um, I do have... Two more things. Yeah. It's very like um, uh, academic things, but oh, yeah. <laughs> I just wonder like what actually will happen if the wind stopped blowing because it brought up 
in the movie yeah. at the very end and mm-hmm. I do search up and based on what I search um it just say like if the wind stop blowing um the moist air won't move around and the water might still uh evaporate but it won't travel meaning anywhere away from a large body of water with so it would dry up and plants animal and humans just slowly die because of dehydration with uh, most water just inaccessible as salt water and ice anymore so yeah climate change and stuff like that yeah i i love that because i took a more uh metaphorical approach um whenever they're commenting that the wind has died uh it's they also talk about how the atmosphere is saturated with anger um from the ohms because they're all heading towards the valley in a stampede because they think you know the baby has been taken so kind of there i guess i thought like the wind had gone away and been replaced by just like the intense anger of the ohm but i i think it 100 can be both it can have like the literal interpretation which is scientific because this movie is making a lot of scientific and environmental references but then also like kind of this metaphorical like spiritual um aspect that uh i love that we explore nature because to me nature is not just um you know talking about the water cycle and like these scientific facts which that is very important too it's very important to understand these things however um i think something that's often overlooked is the spiritual um aspects of nature uh that has largely been just undermined because of the way that um as i mean living in the united states the way we've treated indigenous communities because they had such a special connection with nature and they had a lot of that spiritual interpretation and context and um our country has just kind of obliterated what am i trying to say obliterated i'm sorry guys it's been a long day obliterated that um (laughs) but you know you know what i mean yeah yeah, Um, (laughs) but yeah um so i just mentioned i have two but i'm thinking should i say it later because it's more about the meaning of the wind to Miyazaki and Studio Ghibli itself so um if you want to share it now I think it fits yeah so I just talk uh, very briefly about that because it's not that much but we will talk more about that in next episode where we discuss about the history of Studio Ghibli but uh because Chipley itself was chosen by Miyazaki to name his studio with um, Takahata. And uh, the Chipley itself means a hot desert wind. Mm. So Miyazaki just mean to tell the world that Studio Chipley will blow like a new wind to the anime industry. And I think it's very cool. But this idea is also uh, illustrated into Nausicaa's movie when uh, Nausicaa's first vision happened. When she was um, alone in the savanna, surrounded mm-hmm. by a warm wind, so it just I I thought it's very interesting because it is, can be officially Studio Ghibli movie because it's created but not like from the Ghibli movie, like not from the Ghibli the studio of Ghibli. <laughs> I messed up my word, but yeah, I just feel like it's very interesting because it's create the foundation for what happen later on so yeah (laughs) no absolutely and yeah we're we're having a day guys um i'm so tired it is a long day it's friday but hey that means it's the weekend uh but hey i think this was a really nice film to you know end my friday off with uh i i really enjoyed it um but yeah so outside of the wind did you have any more themes written down or for the environment just in general 
I have uh, war. Yeah. Do you want to get into that one? Yeah. yeah. It's another big theme. I would say we're really split between the environment and war. And I think that's why it recalls us so much of Princess Mononoke, as well as Castle in the Sky, because those were the two big themes in those movies, is war versus um, the environment, humanity versus the environment, mm-hmm. and pacifism. Because we do know that Miyazaki has a lot of pacifist beliefs, which is basically mean nonviolence, anti-war. Um, but he does show that, you know, certain contexts do call for uh, action. So uh, yeah, we can talk a little bit about that. Uh, For me, something that I just really picked up on is the growth of Nausicaa's character herself. Uh, Because Nausicaa does not start out as an entirely pacifist person. Um, Whenever her father is killed, she goes into a blind rage and she kills multiple men. Uh, She was fighting with such like passion and grit. It reminded me of uh, when San, San? San? Yes, San. Gosh, San was fighting Lady Oboshi uh, with her knife. It was a very intense and gritty scene. Um, and Nausicaa even actually ends up accidentally stabbing uh, Lord Yupa, like through his hand, I believe. Um, but yeah, so we see that this is where this is where she starts. Uh, and then where she ends, where we talked about that scene where she's just flying at them with her arms open. She's not going to hurt anyone. Uh, we really do see her transformation as a character. And we also see that Nausicaa's blind rage in this instance is such a good parallel to the Ohm's blind rage at the end of the film. And I think it really explains why she's able to empathize with the Ohm's so much. Because she knows what it's like just to be totally consumed by anger and rage. Because you have been wronged and hurt really bad uh, but she kind of shows that violence is most of the time not the answer and I say most of the time for a reason um, probably because there are some instances where she does have to use threats uh, to get to get what she needs in order to save other lives so I do think that's where we're kind of like finding a middle ground you can't maybe always just be passive in some situations you are demanded to you know have action I guess yeah, I do feel that um, in Nausicaa's character development as well. And the scene that stuck to my uh, mind a lot, the most, I would say, um, is the scene where she just hiding in her secret uh, lab under the crowd. And when uh, Laura Yuba just came to her and like talking about everything and stuff, and she explained why she built up uh, the place. And then she just like, like um her emotion just broke out and she cry and just say like just she doesn't want any more killings and i love that scene a lot i don't have the quote here but yeah i just like i have the quote i think yeah (laughs) yeah i didn't write this scene but i it sounds familiar okay so she says i'm afraid of myself i had no idea that my rage could drive me to kill no more killing it has to stop yeah yeah and then multiple times she says stop it all this killing has to stop Mm mm-hmm yeah, no, it just, I think it's very interesting to brought up that one because for me, it's very a lot about physical war where people actually fight. But for most of other Ghibli movie, I just feel like um physical war is not like obviously there in the screen, but more about the internal war. So yeah, I just found this one very interesting. Yeah, I agree. I think it's because in this film, Nausicaa's quote-unquote internal war has so much to do with the physical war. Because really, Nausicaa's um, psychological battle that she is facing is uh, her endless bounds of compassion 
and how that that doesn't match up to the reality that she lives in. The reality she lives in is really cruel. We have all these kingdoms that are fighting to the death. We have her valley being impacted by that. We have the toxic jungle hurting humans, but also humans hurting the nature of the jungle. Um, and so there's just so much violence and conflict and she just has so much compassion and kindness. And she, she's kind of having to reconcile with living in this society, living in this world. Um, and I, I think that's really her uh, psychological journey. And it's very much intertwined in the physical war itself. So I think that's why here it's not as uh, distinct. Like we have an internal war because like in House Moving Castle, we were able to split it up that way. We had the physical war and then the internal war. This one, they're very much intertwined. You can't really separate them. Yeah, I do like that. So do you have any more about that? Because I don't have a lot about war I touch on. Maybe because I've been distracted because of the holds. But <laughs> I don't know. I wrote a little bit about a victim of the war because I want to know more what happened to uh, Kushana. Because I still wonder, like, she... M- She's been through a lot, and she's also the victim of the war. So that's why she react like so, um, firstly, that way. And for Nausicaa, she uh, like like you just say most of the time trying to be a pacifist. She want to stop everything in peace, and without any mass killing. So in some part, she also cannot like control her emotion, especially when she her um the. What's, what's the name? The Pechite? The pe- the, the, the people, the Pechite. Yeah, the trap where uh, Aspel come from. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. They just want to, like, open a mass killing to yeah. stop everything. She just, like, being so panicked and she wants to stop everything. You know, she just, the, yeah. the Pechites are so interesting because they are these people that has have also been oppressed uh, by uh, Kushana in her reign, her empire, the Tomikian. Tolmikian? Yeah. The Tolmikian Empire or Kingdom. Uh, but at the same time, they're just as bad as the Tolmikians, just in different ways. And so we see multiple times where they're very defensive, where Aspel's like, we are nothing like uh, those Tolmikians. But even Aspel comes to realize by the end that hey maybe they're actually not that different because they're not doing the right thing either they have the same kind of like let's just burn the jungle ideology um (laughs) they just don't think that uh it should be uh the tolmikians who get to use the warrior weapon um so I, I don't know. It's it's interesting, but we do see that they're not as good as they portray themselves to be. Uh, for example, they actually destroyed their own kingdom, it seems. Yeah. Uh, there was some sort of financial maybe exchange with the Tolmikians that led to them doing that. Um, and then also we know that the Pejites, um intend to lure the insects into Nausicaa's valley, as Betty said. And I just remember when Nausicaa discovers us, she immediately starts crying. Uh, and just is like, what a monstrous thing to do. Um, and they try to tell her, no, no, it's for the good of the planet. They genuinely seem to care what Nausicaa thinks because I don't think the Pejites want to be the bad guys. Um, I think they're trying to justify it so they don't have to deal with that guilt. Um, but then when Nausicaa, you know, she's the princess of the valley, they're about to just go murder everybody in. Uh, she starts crying and they're like, oh, well, it, it's for the good of the planet. And she's like, for the good of the planet? Um, uh, what does she say? You'll kill my people. Uh, you're just as bad as the Tomikians. So uh, it's just they really think they have no other choice. But at the end of the day, they do. They absolutely do have another choice. Yeah, they just... Making a, an excuse like um, the Tomekian people just use the giant warrior just for destruction. 
But actually, they did the same. It's just another excuse for construction. So I was, yeah. yeah. And I think we also see, especially with the Pejites, because we don't really get to see the Tolmachian society. We just see the leaders.、Um, but with the Pejites, we actually get to meet their people, and so it establishes this other theme that is very like. Incorporated into war, and it's so complex. Is the difference between the government and the decisions that the government makes versus the people themselves?、Um, and so, in this case, you know, the, their government, their leadership, is making a horribly wrong decision to kill off Nausicaa's people for the greater good, quote unquote.、Um, but you know. Uh, Uh, the Pejite people—they're very sympathetic of、uh, Nasika, especially considering that、um, she's helped Asbol and she's also helped、uh, Lestel, you know, and was there as she died.、Um, and so it's really sweet to see Lestel's mother. Uh, Listel and Asbel's mother,、um, you know, come to save her and says, you know, please forgive us. What our people did was horribly wrong,、um, and just the way that the whole community is really backed behind this decision to let her go. <laughs> to me, that part actually made me cry just because it's so sweet, and that poor mother,、uh, you know, lost her daughter.、Uh, yeah, no. That part made me sad. <laughs> that part got me too. So, yeah. But yeah, and so then she ends up leaving. But then we see, you know, Nausicaa's, you know, internal drive for compassion once again, because、um, as Nausicaa is escaping, the Tomikians return to attack the Pejite people on their ship, and so she's kind of like, I, I can't just leave them. I can't leave you guys like this.、Uh, but Asbel tells her to go, or he will never forgive herself,、um, and pushes her out, so she doesn't really get a choice.、Um, And I think that again kind of shows the psychological conflict of Nausicaa. If she wants to save everyone, but she can't, you know,、mm-hmm. she's kind of、yeah. having to choose between her people and the Pejites in that moment. Yeah, yeah. I feel like this movie put everybody into a very controversial situation that they cannot actually tell what is right to do or what is wrong to do. So, yeah. I one hundred percent agree,、uh, and I think it's just so hard for a character like Nausicaa because she's so optimistic, she's so compassionate, and she cares about everyone.、Um, and so when she's put in these dis- decisions,、uh, it's so hard for her to make a choice. Whereas someone like、uh, Kushana, she's a lot more cutthroat, and she's used to making these decisions. She has, and she will. So it's not as difficult for her. Whereas Nausicaa is going to try to figure out a way to where everyone can be happy and everyone can be okay and survive. And in the end, she does it,、mm-hmm. uh, but at the cost of her own life.、Yeah. So, but she's、um, is being helped and revived anyway. So <laughs> it's a happy ending. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So、um, I I don't know, but、um, the scenes where Nausicaa just like temporarily fade and fall into some、um, illusion. I feel like the flashback of her childhood maybe having something to do with. The way she react currently, so yeah. I don't know what do you think about that? Because that seemed give me a little bit confused. Because I don't know what's going on. Is that a flashback of the the world before the tossing happened, or like is that the part of the Wind Valley where、mm. everybody still still <laughs> still say the same? <laughs> or yeah, I don't know what the setting is actually taking place on, or is that the world she dream? These are, <laughs> These are good questions. These are good questions. I do have my personal interpretation, but there's a thousand other ones, most likely. <laughs>、uh, 
Um, so I found these scenes to be a flashback to her childhood. So I did think that they were real. I thought they were memories, maybe a little altered because she's recalling them from childhood. Um, and part of the reason I think that is because of the, the score, because it's a little girl singing and it's just one little girl. So we're pretty sure it's Nausicaa. Um, so that's the kind of vibe I get. And especially in that last uh, kind of vision or glimpse into the past we get, it, it really was um, the moment of realization for me because uh, the first time that she has any sort of vision, it's just like a child singing and then there's like a tree and there's a little sparkle in it and then it basically goes away and she's woken up or maybe it was the pilot or Asbel that woke up. But anyway, so like, you know, it was very brief and I was like, what is going on with that tree? Um, but then when she returns to it later, um, we see, cause I think there's three different instances in which we have these visions. So the second one, um, it shows her as a child. We actually get to see what she looked like as a child. And then there's her father and uh, he seems, it just seems so tragic. I don't even know what he was telling her, um, but you can tell that they're like, aristocracy, uh, the way they're dressed, uh, and then her mother is actually there in that vision. So we do know that her mother must have died sometime between when she was at that age and then when she's older. Um, but it, there's something about it that was so haunting and tragic. Um, but then when we have the final vision, uh, we finally like put all the pieces together. It's it's Nausicaa and uh, what she's been hiding in that tree, that sparkle we saw in the tree is actually a baby Ohm. And I kind of wonder if it's the same baby Ohm. Mm-hmm. That she saves later because, um, you know, they both grew in size. The one was very small in that one. Um, but yeah, she doesn't want her father and the men to kill it. And she's crying. And I think the father, one of the men is like, the insects have bewitched her. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then the father tries to tell her like, you know, sweetie, insects and humans cannot live in the same world. Uh, and at this moment in time, we really see that she's more afraid of the human beings than she is afraid of the insects. Because we get this cool imagery where it's like a bunch of hands like stretching out and look, it, it looks like they're trying to grab her. Really, they're trying to get the ohm out of her um, arms. But uh, really, that scene kind of showed that she is that she as a child had more to fear from other humans than that baby ohm. Um, and she just starts crying, don't kill it, please don't kill it. Um, and we start to kind of fade away. Uh, and another thing to note about these scenes is that the illustration uh, design actually changes. Um, it's more like, it kind of looks like watercolor. It's more faded and sketchier. Uh, and that helps to me, I think, emphasize that it's a memory. Uh, and that's why it kind of has that faded look to it. But what do you, yeah, what do you think? Yeah, that's very interesting because some some of the part I want to believe that it's just like a flashback as well. But because you also brought up like the medieval things and also it somehow recalled me of the Greek um, culture. So it's more about fate and vision, like what yeah. will happen. So I was like, I don't know if it is like the vision that shows she's going to be the next hero of the world. Like she also in blue coat and working like the golden field like innovation yeah. just brought and yeah I don't know maybe it's just like to me a side of like a new hero is born and then uh just like a bright future that they are going to be there very soon so I, yeah. I think it's both I, I think it is a memory but I also think it is this representation that she's special it's showing mm-hmm. that since childhood she's had this connection and uh, sympathy and compassion for nature. So it's kind of setting up, you know, uh, the beginning of her origin story to fulfilling the role of this savior in the legend. So I think it functions as both. Yeah. 
But yeah, do you want to talk about the end scene when she does fulfill the prophecy? Yeah, sure. If you want to touch on that, I don't. I don't think I have a lot. I just connected um, with the very last scene of the movie with a little mm-hmm. sprout. So uh, okay, I'll let you end on that then, because I had something yeah. that was before that. Um, so I was just going to talk about the fact that her clothing changes colors, because that's a pretty big thing. She's originally wearing pink because she's escaped from the Pageite ship and they dressed her in their clothes. So it's like this pink outfit. Um, but then later when we see her, uh, when she's trying to stop the stampede, it's blue and it's fully blue. Um, so my my interpretation of it is that it's because of the baby blue ohm its blood is blue and so it has completely drenched her dress in blue and so that fits the prophecy however because the prophecy was that it would be this savior in foreign clothes that are blue uh on this like golden field and so she's in foreign clothes and it's blue right so we know she's the savior um and so there's some beautiful quotes such as um the the lady obaba Okay, yeah, sorry. These names are weird. <laughs> Obama. Um, she says, the princess has quieted the rage of the Ulm. She gave her life to save the valley. Um, and so we kind of, and then we hear the child singing again. And so once again, this kind of reconnection, this was her destiny all along, this mythical legend. Um, and then the uh, Ohms actually start to heal her with their like tentacles, I guess, Ten- tentacles. Um, and they interwoven like around her and it creates like this gold platform. And so that's also part of the legend. Um, and I just remember someone saying, you know, who knew how wonderful and caring the Ohm could be? And it's like, that's exactly the point. You never gave, humanity did not give them a chance to show their compassionate side. They just immediately labeled them as like these evil creatures when in reality they were just reacting to the circumstances that humans put them in. Um, but yeah, I feel like, uh, that scene was really good. It just shows that, you know, after a thousand years of darkness, there's finally this princess who has come along and just, she's going to reestablish order and balance. And it's really beautiful. Um, and yeah, I don't, I don't know if I had anything else other than, uh, this other quote about the Ohm in general, because that's such a, um, significant part to the end scene is that the anger of the Ohm reflects the anger of the earth. The earth knows it's wrong for us to survive. I love that. Yeah, so um, I don't have a lot about the ending scene, but I just felt it's very interesting to relay um, one of the quote and one of the scene to the previous episode. We're talking about uh, the wind rises. So we all know, like, even though the main theme of the movie is very heavy on a lot of wars, a lot of, like, violence, the ending also gives hope to the future and even though the disease is still there, but people will gradually find a way to live um, like harmoniously with the nature. And uh, I think it's a perfect match with the theme in The Wind Rises, uh, particularly to the quote, um, the wind is rising, we must try to leave. Yeah. And I kind of think it's very fit. It fit very well. And uh, it's very interesting when I go through uh, the manga version of Nausicaa. So um, for those who doesn't know, so the movie is released in 1984, but the manga has not hadn't like finished until like 10 years later. So um, Miyazaki decided to end it in a very simple way with the one we saw in the movie as well, the image of the sprout. 
And in the movie, there's no quote except for the DN part in the movie. But in the manga version, they have a small quote above the sprout that said, um, "We must leave." Mm-hmm. So I think it's very um, provide a vision of like a future, a very bright future that these people in the movies is going to move forward to. So I found it's very interesting to connect that way and with the quote from The Wind Rises as well. So yeah, yeah, that was a that was a really good connection. Um, it's interesting to see how the theme or the sorry the films that compare to this movie is Princess Mononoke, The Castle in the Sky, which those make sense, and then it's like The Wind Rises. But it does connect in like kind of a weird way because uh, yeah. those two movies are about very different things. So it's just kind of cool to see them connect. A little mm-hmm. unexpected, but I like it. <laughs> yeah. So um, do you have any other things to say? Or we can move to the ranking section. You know, not so much. I really <laughs> did enjoy this film. Um, I this we're, we're dealing with finals right now. So honestly, I feel like I want to talk more about this film, but I would have to really do some more research. So I don't know, maybe in the future I'll do like a, I'll do an independent project and analyze more details. But uh, yeah, that's all I have for this one, at least. Uh, I, I really enjoyed it. <laughs> So yeah, now at the moment I read a description about the movie. I I believe like you're gonna like that because you <laughs> lie about the environment a lot, and I, and I love know. dystopians. I don't know if anyone listening or Betty even knows this, but I I'm a sucker for like dystopians. So yeah, Ugh, my favorite book is I think we've talked about this. I really like Oryx and Crake by Margaret Atwood, which is another environmentally uh, focused uh, novel dystopian. Um, and then also we talked about Brave New World one time, I think. Mm-hmm. So, yes. yeah, love these dystopians. <laughs> yeah. So uh, how will you rank it? Five out of five or? I, you know, OK, <laughs> I want to do five out of five. However, there is some things that aren't as impressive as other Ghibli movies. Like, we really see how Miyazaki has evolved in his career. But for personal reasons, I'm still going to rate it 5 out of (laughs) 5. Yeah, so um, I found this movie is very interesting. I enjoyed the topic and the wholesome world buildings. Even though some parts scare me out. But (laughs) yeah, but I love the beautiful soundtrack as well. And I found it's very it's connect very well to all other movies that Miyazaki is going to create later on. Um, however, I do believe like the pace of the movie is kind of slow in my opinion. So some part just make me feel like I want to skip. <laughs> so it was a two hour film, I will say. Like yeah. Porco Rosso did so much, and it was way shorter. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it just so long. But I don't know if it's intentional or not. But yeah. <laughs> that's and fair. I rank it just like four point five out of five. That's yeah. That's totally I, I subtract fair. um a point five for my phobia. <laughs> <laughs> for the triphobia. Yeah. <laughs> you know, valid, completely <laughs> valid. But yeah. So to those listening, thank you for tuning into our conversation. We love talking all things Ghibli, and so just to discuss some things to look forward to from us in the future. So uh, next week we do plan on recording an episode where we're gonna discuss another one of Miyazaki's films that is non-Ghibli called, and I'm not gonna say it correctly at all, but The Castle of 
Cagliostro, uh, which came out in 1979. So we're going back even further in time. So this one will be a bit of an oldie. Um, and we'll, we're excited to bring you also some just like information on Miyazaki's career and how he went from uh, uh, the castle of Cagliostro in Nausicaa to the Ghibli films. So kind of explaining that transition. Yeah. It's kind of backward, but we'll yeah. get there. <laughs> we'll get there. And then past all that, uh, next semester, we hope to continue on the series and we'll cover Ghibli films that are not by Miyazaki. So some fan favorites, um, like, I, what's a fan favorite? Um, Just like some famous ones. Yeah, like, I would say a lot of people like, um, don't a lot of people like Whisper of the Heart? It's pretty wild. I love that one. Yeah. Just like a sly up live and it's so cute. Yeah, and yeah. I kind of love um, Ollie yesterday. Uh-huh. Ocean Ways is kind of good, but I just don't like <laughs> the boy. Just like there's a scene that give me a bad impression about him. But, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So but, we'll get to cover all that. And then this summer, How Do You Live by Miyazaki is coming out. So you know we'll be in the theaters for that. <laughs> yeah. So we'd love to discuss that with y'all. And also, um, we, we need to make an Instagram for just our Ghibli um, series because I, I just want to see comments. I want to see like what people think and what y'all's interpretations are because I think that's the best thing about making podcasts and discussing films is learning what other people thought because we all have very different um, backgrounds and perspectives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for you, Ghibli open a lot of interpretation. So I do want to know like what people think. So yeah, yeah. absolutely. All right. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for listening today, guys. And we will see you next time. Yeah. Take care. Bye. Bye.